welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul Frederick. Greetings, my friends and fellow Damons, and welcome to another episode of Damonosophy 2.0, the only podcast fighting for liberty and the left-hand path. This episode, I'm super excited to present to you a very special guest, Mr. Diabolos Rex. Now, if you don't know who that is, a few months ago, when I was at uh, the Flambeau Noir event in Portland, Oregon, I went to the Lovecraft's bar there, and I saw Diabolos Rex there, and I said, hey, I, I recognize him right away. Um, he has a very distinguished presence, a very unforgettable appearance. So I went up and introduced myself, and we started talking. And let me tell you, we talked about black magic. We talked about Satanism. We talked about the left-hand path. We talked about uh, Wilhelm Reich and orgone theory. We talked about uh, the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Persians, and the Germania, and all points in between. So... Um, I was super excited when he expressed that he would be interested in doing the show here so that we might have the opportunity to share with you some of the intensity of that discussion which took place there at Lovecraft's. So, as you might have garnered from this, um, way back a long time ago, uh, I, I ran in some of the same circles as Diabolos Rex. So at one time, uh, he was an initiate of the Temple of Set, and then a little later was a member of the Church of Satan. Uh, but currently, he is the independent founder and magus of the Chaos Imperium. Uh, it's a black magical order exploiting technological sorcery in an effort to further the order's aeonic concept of meta-chaos. He's also the founder and lead engineer for Black Sun Occult Engineering and Design, which is a military-grade skunk works for the development and creation of advanced magical devices and theories utilized by the members of the Chaos Imperium. And again, the Chaos Imperium is a closed order dedicated to furthering the hyper-refinement of self in defiance of all other forms of energy or matter and the demiurgic laws which govern them, all values that I can very much identify with. So, without any further ado, I will allow you to hear him explain it in his own words, and therefore I present to you now, Mr. Diabolos Rex. So, man, I gotta say it's such a pleasure having you on the show, Rex. Like I told you before, I've seen your work for so many years, and it was just such a uh, bizarre and magical experience bumping into you at that Lovecraft's bar in Portland. It really boggles my mind. Thanks. Your uh, your introduction makes it sound so much more uh, Sith Star Wars than it probably really is. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So, you know, uh, one thing I ask everyone when they come on the show, uh, this is the, 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 the quintessential uh, 
basic question from which everything else flows. How did you find the left-hand path? Well, you have to go back to uh, the 60s and my parents, principally, who were very interested in uh, magic and witchcraft and uh, you know, anything oriented around uh, the devil at that time. Um, that was the, the zeitgeist of a rebirth of, of manifestation of, of Satan in America. And so uh, they discovered the Satanic Bible at that time. And um, it found its way into the house. And uh, I was very, very curious about anything it had to do with monsters or demons or anything that was I just had a natural uh, affinity for that type of thing so uh, when the satanic bible found its way uh, into uh, our home I read it as best I could that time and uh, that's when I made the decision that well this is this is what I am this is this is going to direct the rest of my world and my path for for the rest of my life and it has so I I, I, I I resonate with a lot of that. I had similar experience. So you said your your parents brought it in? Well, uh, you have to understand that, that that book was fairly easy to obtain at that time. It was being uh, – uh, it was a piece of propaganda as far as the Church of Satan was concerned. And so it was out there. And my parents were curious about anything that was unusual and different. I mean they, they experimented with mind-altering drugs and and, uh, you know, this is just one more thing to, like, try and find out, you know, uh, what's, you know, what's life all about? What is this? Mm -hmm. uh, it may have been driven by something far more primitive, like, you know, how much better can I feel than I feel right now? And so uh, they, they had an, an interest in that. That was, wasn't what it was for me. But for me, it was like, you know, uh, uh, anything unusual and different. Uh, at the time, there was a... Mattel had created a, uh, a toy called, um, uh, it was a monster maker kit. I don't know if you remember this or you could actually go online and look this up. Um, there, there was a monster making kit. You, you put in a, a coagulant, which uh -huh. was a, kind of a rubberish compound. Yeah, it. yeah. I remember. Right, and then through heat, you over time you could uh, actually create some type of, you know, positive of the negative of the mold. You pull it out, and well, you got a shrunken head or a skeleton or, uh, uh, you know, some kind of weird bug, and uh, you know, from that it was anything. It was uh, science fiction. It was outer limits. It was, um, you know, uh, horror theater. Uh, uh, Saturday evening, fright night. I mean, all these things were of great fascination to me. And it wasn't something I was coordinated to because, you know, my parents wanted me to watch it. I mean, th these were things I just naturally gravitated to. So um, it has stuck with me forever, but it became much more philosophical as time went by and became less oriented toward just uh, shock value and things you would see. It was like much more internal. Yeah, so um, I feel that when I came across that book, The Satanic Bible, the reason it, one of the things that stood out about it, um, as opposed to all the other morass of like occultist, uh, you know, occultish and new age type literature, you know, I was going through a period of my life where I'm trying to, you know, check out all these things and trying to learn about stuff. And this was the first book that I encountered that really had like a, it had like an ethos behind it. 
you know, for, you know, and, and in addition to that, it, it described, it was the first thing I ever read that just really just described how magic works in just real basic terms to where you can like understand the mechanics behind it. And, and, and then, like I said, that there's an ethos behind it and all of the other things I, I had seen at that time didn't seem to have any kind of like anything like that, any kind of like ethos behind them, any kind of rationality behind it or, you know, a rational approach to, you know, what magic is. Well, I find it interesting that uh, a lot of people that discovered the Satanic Bible <clears throat> felt that, well, uh, here's a working explanation on how magic might actually work why it works and why we have an interest in it. Um, it's like uh, what has been stated before, and it actually, uh, the uh, high priest of your order even uh, made that fairly um, uh, you know, evident when he stated that he, you know, Anton LaVey was a, an interesting fellow who may have had a, a new perspective on the equation of uh, humanity, mm -hmm. what he really was. And that book, in and of itself, kind of broke down both uh, psychology and metaphysics into some compartmentalized elements that were very workable in the physical realm. Uh, and so people that have seen that and they were able to define that in a very rational way uh, discovered that, hey, I'm a Satanist. That's what I am. And, and all of a sudden, their world and their world outlook completely changes. It's like that fast. They see it, you know, they read about it, and then this connection is made, and everything changes after that. Mm -hmm. So there's an interesting question in here. Um, one thing that uh, Anton LaVey said once is that uh, Satanists are not made, Satanists are born. Uh, what is your take on that? Is 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 this uh, a path that someone can aspire to and work towards, or is it something that you're predisposed to already for some reason in life? Well, either you are, uh, you know, magnetically charged positive, or you're magnetically charged negative. I mean, you can you come out into the world that way, and so I feel that you either have a natural resonance toward that, or you don't. And those people who try to work toward that because they feel that it's a popularist idea it's like uh, um, they need to be convinced of it kind of like um, uh, being given you know uh, various choices politically that's complete crap uh, they they'll never make it that way it's like either you are or you are not it's that simple we live in a world though in which that type of attitude is not acceptable it's like oh you can become anything that you want it's like well you better have the uh, the cajones to make that happen or you might go forget it. So. Yeah. So, no, it's interesting. Um, the way, um, the way um, mankind seems to be evolving right now. It seems to be becoming more and more polarized between uh, the people that have, you know, something that have like that spark and, and the people that, you know, like you said, well, you can be whatever you want. And, and they all just, you know, even though there's this idea there that you can be whatever you want, the reality is like no one really knows what to be. Well, that sounds like a slogan for the Marines. I don't <laughs> expect that. But uh, <clears throat> uh, I think I, I hold that you resonate to certain 
uh, elements naturally. We just gravitate toward them. And they, they connect with you uh, in a very realistic way. And you can't bend that to try and make it fit. I mean, the uh, online occult community is an amazing example of that uh, uh, manifestation of degeneracy. Um, and in which they attempt to make connections between things that just don't fit. So they change the definitions to, in an attempt to make them fit. Well, that just uh, shows your lack of, of uh, personal uh, internal cohesion and your misunderstanding of the way in which the universe actually works. You obviously have never researched what a thought is and how that works, or um, you just don't think that's important because, uh, well, I can just accept things, you know, as I want because I make my own reality. Well, that's just not, uh, that's not how reality works, unfortunately. There's too much evidence to support stronger positions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not up to us, Paul, to educate people like that, really. Uh, they should be allowed to to descend into madness and self-destruction, you know, that's, that's the best thing that can happen you know, is to uh, allow them to, to choose their own demise, even unwittingly and let it, uh, let it take place. Right. So this is reminding me of some things that I read recently uh, from uh, Alistair Crowley and his, like uh, uh, one of his uh, introductions to the, um, to the book of the law where he was going on this, the scathing critique of, 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 of fascism and communism and all these political movements from his time period that he thought were deleterious and how there's just simply there's this huge morass of humanity that um, really is just doomed to um, kind of just destroy itself basically like sort of like cannibalize itself eventually and that they should be left to, they should be allowed to do that everyone should be allowed to do as they want because uh, everyone has a, a free will and if it's their will to cannibalize and destroy themselves, then, you know, so be it. I agree. I think that people should be allowed to kill themselves. <laughs> Mass perfusion. Uh, far be it from me to attempt to stop you from your, your self-annihilation. You should be allowed to have that. Uh, as far as Crowley was concerned, he had it right so close, so mm. many times to the left-hand path, and then yeah, lost it. Yeah. That wasn't his purpose anyway. His purpose wasn't to uh, to bring the position of the left-hand path into the modern world. That uh, that became the doom and 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 uh, and work of another magus. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, Crowley should be appreciated for what he actually did by laying the foundation of the trapezoid. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a very strong way for the next position to be built up on. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's worthy in that sense. The majority of his, uh, his constituency. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like he said so many different things. Uh, in his time that so many different things can now evolve from that. So it's like you have to dig through and find the core. And it's like, well, this is a great thing here. Um, and, and I can appreciate that, but uh, the, the mainstream of where that's going right now, it's, it's, it's hard to, to see um, you know, how it's really helping things. Dr. LeVay called him a great maze maker. 
<laughs> no, that's good. Um, or um, a uh, a reflection of uh, of hardware uh, from the book of coming forth by night of the confused and fitful presence. Well, you know, it seems like he's reared his head even more so in the modern world, and, it's, and there has been this divergent position between the, uh, you know, the, the position of the Setian consciousness versus you know, what's going on with Hermar, uh, which is a descent into madness. And uh, again, it's like the gods actually, you know, uh, devolving and splitting itself in half. Uh, I think that the real perversion here was saying that they they, they were part of the part and parcel of the same thing because they're definitely yeah. distinct entities at this point. Yeah. Wow. How did we get into Crowley? Hey, speaking of technology, um, tell me about the Ragnarok engine. Well, you ought to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it? I've seen, I've seen, I've seen some pictures of it. I've heard stuff. I know that it's like really, really big. It's made of metal. It involves some uh, uh, very unique sort of uh, trapezoidal uh, geometry. Um, I think there may be some pentagrams involved. There may be some huge like uh, energy energy things going on. Uh, the Ragnarok engine is a is a creation of a group called the uh, Black Sun Occult Engineering and Design uh, Firm, which I am part of. And that's made up of other people who are very interested in developing unusual technology. I own the Ragnarok engine myself because it was my uh, um, interests monetarily uh, that helped put it together. But it, uh, it exploits aspects of physics, quantum physics, and a causal metaphysics. Um, the, uh, the Ragnarok engine is an uh, is a electro-holofractal a-causal theorem, and by theorem, talking about a, a, a device for leveraging aspects of physics so that they can coincide with metaphysics. Mm -hmm. um, the entire project was built out of um, uh, a type of metal that uh, you would only find in uh, armor plate that. You know, uh, in things such as tanks or uh, you know, submarines, uh, T1, and then stuff even harder than that, because of the tremendous forces that are involved in being able to make it work. So uh, I'd always had a very strong interest in being able to involve technology and magic, because I believe that that was the future of how we would actually gain access to more in principle. Uh, and intrinsic questions as to how all of this works. And uh, that's one of the uh, one of the primary points of focus of the order that you actually belong to, the Temple Set. Uh, the order of the trapezoid was all oriented around how can we use technology to, you know, force physical reality mm -hmm. in a greater degree to match that which um, we, we see internally. And so uh, taking that as a cue, back in the 80s, uh, I began developing ideas around how we could develop technology to do that. And, and the Ragnarok engine 
which I started in 1996, is the culmination of many of those ideas from other people and from uh, some of the own thing, much of my own research. Wow! So you've been working on this since 1996. Well, wow, that's huge. That's a that's a that's a a, a, a serious uh, a serious labor of love. There, it's a serious project. So is it um, like like so? So um, are are you involved? Are are you hands on with it? I mean, are you doing like welding and stuff like that, and the engineering, the design on it, and, and I, I completely designed it myself. Uh huh. I designed it. I created the parameters <clears throat> around it for how it would actually work, and I actually hand selected people that I would to uh, have assist me in putting it together. Uh huh. That's amazing. So, what is the um, what's the ultimate what's the ultimate aim of it? What's the final? Um, I mean, what what is it? What are you going to do with it? Well, without getting into too much math, <laughs> <laughs> we should. Uh, you know, our ultimate goal is to be able to find our position uh, inside of physical space time, and then ultimately outside of that, uh, in which we could um, come closer to the godlike element that we actually find with the Prince of Darkness, whether you call him Set. Or Satan, or any one of another uh, other names, or no no names at all, and so uh, this device was created to be able to help propel the physical energy of the human mind forward into uh, a position that would be more favorable for that, mm -hmm. and that involves the use of uh, high-powered toroidal. Um, energy or mass in its rotation, and that's one of the reasons you see the, the, the ring inside of this device. And there's actually a sphere which fits inside of that too, and you can't actually see it because we haven't, uh, we haven't finished it yet. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's to be able to uh, use the will of the magician in conjunction with um, exotic physics to be, help, to be able to propel uh, essence conscious essence of the individual to a position that is greater than that which can be contained by physical space-time itself. We know this is possible because of experiments that have already been done in conventional physics. So the aim of the uh, device is directed towards, say, a, uh, a willing, willing and voluntary participant. Who's there in Who's there in the presence of it? Versus like I'm also when we talk about like magical devices, you think of like something like a like a tepophone or something that's intended to send out send out these vibrations to have an effect on someone uh, whether they want it to or not. But this is something uh, that it's like sort of a voluntary thing. Someone would like be in the presence of this device and um, open themselves up to receiving um, a. Uh, you know, a, I guess an injection or an empowerment of some kind. You have to, there would have to be aspects of the, of the personal will and the doppelganger, a, a self-created secondary self. Mm -hmm. These were con this, That's a concept that actually was talked about back in the 80s in, in your order. Um, I, I guess I should make, the, make it a little bit more clear when I say that because I personally was a, a member of the temple set back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Uh, this was something that was being discussed amongst members um, of the Order of the Trapezoid about how we might actually be able to um, uh, take aspects of the self and 
um, you know, move them forward into, you know, something greater using technology. And so experiments were done with things like sound and, and uh, 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 Tesla-oriented technology. Yes. Electromagnet, electromagnetic resonance. Um, but this incorporates a lot of these elements all together, but in a much more refined fashion, things that we've learned a lot about um, as time has gone by, as well as um, uh, uh, thematic uh, conditions which have been uh, laid, become much more available to us as a result of the uh, publishing of material involving uh, quantum physics. Mm-hmm. So that's... Uh, that's something we're exploiting uh, continually. We're constantly researching this type of material. I am not, by any means, a professional physicist, but I have a deep, deep interest in that. And I keep up on all the physics journals and quantum physics journals constantly because I feel that as you understand that, you have to be able to refine certain principles of that oriented around what we know is possible and then be able to craft magical uh, elements uh, to deal with that. I do not for one moment believe that or hold that quantum physics defines how magic works. No, that is a completely different thing. We can't say that that's, it's, you know, talking about, for instance, uh, spooky action at a distance in which you are able to take a, an electron, you know, in a specific space, and then you are able to have that electron in a, another space, let's say it was, uh, you know, million light years away, mm-hmm. and then you, res- you are able to vibrate that electron here, and mm-hmm. then you know you have an immediate uh, vibration at the other side at exactly the same moment, is not to be construed as... Um, entanglement in a manner in which you could say, oh, well, that proves how, you know, putting a curse on somebody actually works. When you do this here, it affects persons over there. No. What we are talking about is being able to how to use uh, aspects of uh, quantum physical spooky action at a distance, uh, for instance, as a fulcrum to uh, reinforce an aspect of magic. So um, it gets a little confusing because magic in and of itself, when you start to examine it at tiny little uh, uh, references to how it might actually work, becomes quite confusing. We don't really have to pick it apart like that to make mm-hmm. it work. Right? Um, you, know, you add peas and carrots and celery and various other things to make soup you know, taste good. You don't really examine like why those elements have to, you know, why they interact with the water and make the soup taste good. You just know that it does, and so you, you, know, you make your decisions based around that uh, as a very simplistic example. So um, we should be constantly examining how physics and quantum physics actually works at the Planck link, which is the tiniest unit of measurement, and how we can manipulate things out from that. Because if you make a small alteration that tiny unit of measurement, it will rotate out Mm -hmm. into the physical world at our manifestation and then beyond that. Mm -hmm. And that's anything that spins, anything that rotates is a doorway. 
And so we need to be able to examine that and see how that will work. So um, do you, so I, I, I'm not a physicist either, but um, would you say that the mechanics behind uh, the Ragnarok engine, are they more, uh, are the principles more Newtonian than they are quantum or is there, a, is it a, is there a quantum aspect of it? There's a quantum aspect to every element that we're dealing actually here with. And so it's, it's very neo-science. Uh, actually, the combination between what's being done here in a-causal metaphysics or a-causal physics, which is what I call it, um, and what's, uh, how it actually affects physical reality is, uh, is new. And they haven't seen this really before. I mean, we've talked, people have talked about it and like how it might actually work in a ritual chamber and stuff, but like we have to have a way to actually test it. Uh -huh. And the device Ragnarok engine is something we can use to actually test it because it involves toroidal physics and elements that involve um, uh, uh, photonic energy and the creation of a singularity and the implementation of will in, uh, as part of the experiment, will and consciousness. There are all types of experiments that are being done by science currently, including those of the Large Hadron Collider, that if they took into consideration the, uh, the importance of consciousness in it, they might have tremendously different results than what they're actually getting at the, at the current moment. So it's... But that's that's not why they're here. That's why we're here. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so just to give everyone a uh, an, an idea, um, how how large is the how large is the machine? Well, the Ragnarok engine's uh, current weight, uh, because it's not completed, is uh, um, 68, 69,000 pounds, and its mass is important to its operational principles. Uh, the body of it is very, very heavy because um, when you're rotating a, a, a six-foot um, diameter um, T1 ring, now this ring is nine inches thick mm -hmm. uh, as far as the, uh, the internal diameter. And then you have an outside diameter, it's 12 inches, and then it's six feet across, and then you have a... Uh, a five thousand, and it weighs ten thousand pounds, and then you have a five thousand pound sphere, internal sphere, thirty-two inches in diameter. If you can spin that at a thousand rotations a minute, uh -huh. it becomes it, that's a ferocious amount of energy that you're generating. And so the body of this has to be heavy enough to which you're not going to be able to tip the thing over, or it's going to just you know propel itself, you know, uh, you know, in, into another dimension. So. Um, so yeah, the uh, the body of it has to be really heavy, but um, it's divided into three specific sections um, of operation. We have an alpha chamber, a gamma chamber, and then uh, uh, an omega chamber. And two chambers create a positive electrical charge, negative electrical charge, and then a recombination charge on the inside. And then when you put those together, those uh, in combination with a uh, photonic uh, register, which is like a, uh, a modified form of laser propelling, you know, being able to shoot up into the ring and sphere combination, you create a singularity inside the, the sphere. The sphere has a set of 
holes which rotate around the inside of it and then as it passes through the um, through the uh, chasm which is part of the device if you actually look at it online uh, it goes into it will pierce upward in through one of these uh, these egresses into the sphere which has a very very small cavity which has been polished to like mirror brightness well if you've, if you've ever seen what a mirror looks like, imagine what a mirror looks like when it's round or spherical on the inside. Uh -huh. You would have the directional force of all of these, of, of a laser, which would coalesce. It wouldn't have anywhere to go. It would ricochet off in itself continually, but it would all coalesce into the middle of the sphere itself. And then you have a singularity that you could actually work with to create a... Uh, uh, a potential position inside a physical space in which you could uh, uh, alter it and then be able to embellish it and make it grow and then you could add anything to the inside of that and you might actually be able to uh, leave physical space time. So there's actually electricity flowing through this thing. Electromagnetic energy, yeah, it's very uh, Tesla uh, coil oriented but there's also an involvement of lasers uh, we have organ energy. We also have, you know, um, uh, aspects of things that which, which might be construed of, as vril energy. Vril is supposedly the oldest form of electromagnetic energy that you could find anywhere in the universe. I mean, uh -huh. it's, it became a major part of the uh, of the the, the Thule order and the uh, Black Sun and Freud and von Lucifer and these groups, which we're all talking about how this energy predates anything like prana um, or, uh, or or ki or chi or anything. And, yeah. and I, that the, the, this is the original form of energy, and it's much more powerful because it's a pure form. But the only way to actually be able to exploit it is you have to go back and use, you know, uh, uh, a technological energy conglomerate to actually make it work. Uh, people nowadays are just talking about being able to use it through things like, uh, uh, I don't know, just the symbol itself or in, in it, ad adhering to um, some kind of um, excess, you know, love of UFOs or, you know, <laughs> connection to, you know, what's going on in uh, the, the South Pole. Yeah. And yeah. no, you can't do that. It's like you actually have to be able to exploit the principle in a, in a, in a very – so all those things you mentioned, we mentioned Vril, Prana, Chi, all those things. I tend to associate all those with uh, with the Black Flame and how the Black Flame is talked about, say, in like uh, in, in, in Dr. Aquino's uh, Diabolicon. It's this energizing energy that has a direct effect on on consciousness. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the original form of energy. And its, it's greatest manifestation is the Black Sun. That's that's one of the reasons that symbol was so important is because it's the singularity and you can see the rays of um, uh, you know radiating out from it into the uh, telluric realms into the physical realm. Mm -hmm. The uh, Chaos Imperium has a very similar uh, symbol, but uh, ours has uh, has a few more. Um, uh, uh, 
rays of energy that you actually see from it. It has 16 sig runes instead of like the, the normal 12 or 8 or whatnot because it represents both the members of the order and the energy that they actually command. And the ring on the outside is actually pierced by these, these forces because not only does it represent power and its transformation inside of the physical realms, but out into the realms beyond that which uh, we are constrained to by the Demiurge, which is just the natural creative you know, life force of, of the universe, which is not our friend, by the way. It is a controlling uh, feminine element, which is all about creation of more life. And it will not only exploit life that is here, it will diminish life if that is seen as an important element to creating you know, life at another level. Um, so we have to actually, we have to escape that. We have to move beyond the, uh, the demiurgic, um, uh, you know, law of the universe. Life is not, uh, humanities or the magician's friend. Let's put it that way. Well, we'll talk about humanity. We don't really care. <laughs> it's not the magician's friend. Life is not the magician's friend because it has a constrained, uh, reincorporation of our energy back into physical space. Mm -hmm. uh, we are at war with the Demiurge because we seek to be able to escape that, to move beyond uh, physical space-time into a state that has, quote, no center and no circumference. I believe, and my order holds, that uh, this is the position that is held by the Prince of Darkness, this, this state with no center and no circumference, and is not controlled inside of physical space-time. It is more powerful than that. Mm -hmm. and, but we can't really talk about it, Paul, because uh, uh, the architecture of the human brain at this point doesn't allow us to actually you know, use uh, words or math or any other form of symbol to give meaning to what's happening there. All we can do is work toward making that happen. And then when it does, we either A, continue on in that form, or we can, we can send an avatar back into physical space to do whatever. But we can't, we can only uh, apprehend, we can only noetically look for right. that position. And so that's what the word metachaos, the other word metachaos is that position which is beyond chaos, which is the physical universe to this superposition outside of mm -hmm. physical. To me, you know, I, I, I accept that that set in its most developed form is, is in that state and that what we understand as the Prince of Darkness is a secondary avatar, something that we as human beings can actually understand. We can give it a certain level of uh, anthropomorphism because that, that helps us understand it. Right. We can words, we can use formula, we can describe things in certain ways, we can actually measure elements of it, but its most powerful, its most realistic form, its authentic form is actually outside of that. Once you've reached a transcendent aspect like that, you could send a, you know, you know, any type of form back into physical space or multiple ones, it, not only into this element of space-time, but any other alternate uh, space realm regardless of where it was. Yeah. In other words, any alternate universe. Yeah. And we have to, um, so, so, um, we, 
we can't really perceive this thing. And 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 I grok what you're saying as far as like a, a noesis, um, but we can kind of work in the direction of it. And when you mentioned the demiurge, um, I'm thinking in terms of this. This this also sort of encompasses the idea of the uh, of, of cosmic inertia, right? It's like the magnetism of the the natural order, which seeks to draw everything. Uh, like you said, every, draw everything back into it. And so we kind of get a clue. We realize um, that we have to struggle against that to exist. Um, even in an ordinary sense, we struggle against it. Even to like live here, like as you know, just a semi-conscious being, um, I have to struggle against. You know, I have to struggle against nature to be here. We, um, we do struggle against it, and there's absolutely no action other than magical action, perhaps that we can engage in that, that is not part of its plan to just continue the life element of the universe. Uh, you know, you, you, you die, second law of thermodynamics takes over, and you know, you're reincorporated into the grand pleroma of energy. Your sense of distinction has been completely obliterated. You don't know who you are, there's, there's none of that. That's why people who talk about becoming one with the universe or you know, reincorporating with, uh, uh, with, with, uh, uh, you know, uh, reaching nirvana, etc. It's like, you know, if you lose your sense of self, well, guess what? There's nothing there to know that it's actually reached that state. So anybody that's preaching that, uh, actually doesn't understand how, you know, life in and of itself actually works. Um, that's why, uh, <laughs> when you see, you know, uh, people who supposedly claim to be left-hand paths talking about the, the virtues of Buddhism mm -hmm. are complete idiots because they believe that it's like, well, if I can embrace the void, you know, I, you know, I can, I, you know, I'm involved in void worship and, you know, I can you know, uh, become part of that and I can reach this specific state and I will be one with all. It's like, you know what, well, you're not even going to know that's happened because it's not going to be any essential you. It's gone. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's left over is that energy. Mm -hmm. That's why these people, like I said, should be holed out into the street and shot. So, yeah, because they're not, they're not contributing to to, to uh, magical knowledge. They're just confusing the issue. Right. Um, whereas the, the the position of the authentic practitioner of the left hand path is to hyper refine the sense of self so greatly and so. Uh, uh, you know, to, with such strength that the physical cosmos can't contain it. Mm -hmm. The demi is completely thwarted, and we can actually physically leave space time. We don't have any way of explaining what that would be like, or you know, uh, you know what would be outside of that. We just know that to me is is true spirituality, mm -hmm. true and authentic transcendence. Anything that happens inside of here that people talk about. You know, spirituality, you know, I had this happen and I had that happen and this and they can explain it. That's an altered state of consciousness. I'll accept that. But that's not transcendence and it's not spiritual. Right. No, it's a it's 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 a hyper uh, a hyper individuation. And um, so one thing that um, Aristotle like talked about in his book uh, on the soul, he talks about how um, the soul seems that it's always connected with a body of some kind. And you get into this idea that that's like that that point of reference that's needed there. So there's something to do with consciousness 
Um, and I think this is, is, is part of um, what you see in the, in the book of Coming Forth by Night when Seth talks about creating hardware to define himself. It's creating this other aspect of the self that like facilitates the, uh, the ability of the conscious self to exist beyond, to, to be able to transcend the inertia of the demiurge or the order, to move, move forward beyond that and yet not lose its perspective completely. You know, not just evaporate into the uh, evaporate into the void, as it were. And to uh, uh, to give sideline to that idea, the uh, Italian writer Julius Evola said that there was no action inside of physical space time, inside of physical reality, that happened that did not have its origins in the unseen, meaning that. It came from something greater, was outside of physical space-time, manifested inside of physical space-time, but actually has to have this ultimate goal of being able to return back into that, and then some, and then become even greater. So, uh, yeah, we have to give ourselves definition, you know, uh, per the Aristotelian perspective, that there has to be uh, something which we can reference each other in mm -hmm. the physical. But when we're here, the demiurge has full control of life. And any other element of that. That's why magic has actually been so forbidden uh, over the uh, over the centuries with various uh, various cultures, well, practically any culture, mm -hmm. is because you are thwarting the life force itself. Uh, the life force can't be looked at as being something um, uh, sanguine and beautiful and and uh, that everybody should follow because it has rules and its rules are all about the return of energy. Your distinction is somehow seen as evil. That's the ultimate evil, is to be so distinct that nature can't control you. That's the ultimate evil. So when people want to talk about, well, I'm so evil because, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to go out and you know, I'm going to eliminate all these people or I'm going to defile uh, this altar or, you know, I'm going to uh, join this group and I'm going to, like, you know, bring it to an end. Um, uh, that that level of evil that's pathetic. That is simplistic. That is oriented within the physical demiurge. The ultimate aspect of evil is being able to say, "Well, I'm not going to allow the cosmos to dictate uh, what I'm going to become." Mm -hmm. But I can. My biology is not my destiny. Yeah. And therefore, to be able to transcend that. That's why that's that's the real reason black magic is so has been considered so uh, outre and so and so uh, uh, unacceptable, and ultimately became evil it was because it was in direct uh, refutation of life controlling elements, which were all about like, well, we have to just become part of the, you know, this this grand energy again. We have to give it all back to it. It's like, no, we're not going to give it. We're going, to, we're going to move beyond that. So let me ask: Is uh, when you when you mentioned the demiurge, is is some of your um, your thoughts on that uh, related to the um, uh, the fraternists, Saturni? They talk about the uh, about the demiurge and that. Well, some of these groups had it partially right and partially wrong. Um, Fraternitatis Saturni is most. Uh, uh, its greatest interest for me initially was that it led me to an understanding about uh, 
the Freemasonic Order of the Golden Centurium and its interest in the, the Tepophon, which ah. was a death ray projector, um, which, uh, of course, I wanted to, to build one, and I did, but I built several of them. Uh, but I've improved on the designs. And um, you, uh, the, uh, anything that re, that's oriented toward re-inculcation uh, of, of essence back into the grand pleroma, to me, is, is, to be some, is something that's to be uh, refuted and, uh, and uh, seen as essentially unsatanic. Um, and very uh, right-hand path oriented. So, but uh, like I said, the, the Freemasonic Order, the Golden Centurion was, you know, they were, you know, they were all about power in the Telluric realm, but some of what the things that they were researching could be used uh, by magicians later on to help propel this idea that we should be able to use some of this technology to get beyond our physical confines. Mm-hmm. What about um, what about Wilhelm Reich? Do you ever build any uh, cloud busters or? No, uh, no, I'm not really interested in fighting off uh, you know bombs and UFOs and bald-headed <laughs> gray aliens or anything that kind of stuff. You know, all, all of that stuff still belongs to uh, physical space time. Right? Mm -hmm. Crowley's interaction with the Lom was still was still a, an interaction with a, a physical being, you know, a being from a, an alternate dimension, but a physical being nonetheless. You know, when people talk about their interaction with demons, a lot of times all they're talking about is some, you know, uh, gray aliens, you know, pet monster, you know, except we have dogs and they have some kind of like horrible creature and, and you know, we, we supposedly see that as some kind of demonic form that we should be worshiping. Well, you're an idiot. Go ahead, worship it. You worship somebody else's, you know, you know, uh, you know, protector of their uh, their home or their, you know, their their lawn or <laughs> whatever, um, you know. So, you know, I'm 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 interested in those things which are not easily classifiable, um, and but I am fascinated with being able to research how those things came about, why they came about, at the times that they came about, and a lot of times those things coincide with. Uh, scientific discoveries in electromagnetism, uh, um, thermonuclear reaction, and uh, things like uh, what we're doing now with the Large Hadron Collider. If you actually chart uh, scientific discoveries in you know, high energy physics, what's the uh, corresponding element of that? Interaction with alien beings. Okay, I don't, I don't believe that that's coincidental. That's fascinating, and and so you you the thing that's different about your approach to a lot of these things is that you have this hands-on aspect of, of of it. You're actually like building this stuff. So I wanted to ask: Do you have a um, do you have a background in like welding? Or um, engineering, or anything like that, to be able to, you know, building this this huge machine. I have absolutely no background in uh, as a uh, as a physicist. I subscribe to all the phys uh, journals, the uh, quantum physics journals. I actually am in contact with people who are um, physicists themselves, or quantum physicists, and I'll present an idea, and they'll like. 
well, we're not really working with that, but if we were going to, uh, that's exactly how we would do it, you know. So sometimes I'm on the, I'm really on the, on the uh, right track with that. Or there will be like, wow, for somebody who's never really studied this kind of thing before, you really think the same way that that uh, some of us do. Um, so, uh, and that's hard to think that uh, you know I, I have a natural affinity that I was always. I wasn't a great student in school. I, uh, math was something that was I wasn't really that attuned to. But um, uh, formula and higher math was something that I was able to to be to really understand because it's symbolistic, right? And the symbolists present are, are symbolic of specific ideas, and that's how symbolism in, in the occult works. So it was pretty easy to understand. It's weird because as opposed to this like uh, fractions and additions and subtraction. Um, the hands-on is that, uh, yeah, I was uh, the, the son of three generations of, of uh, tool and die um, manufacturers and engineers. And my father was, a, was an engineer and, and a researcher for a couple of different companies. And I, I believe that kind of thing is passed on genetically. So mm -hmm. yeah, I've tried to exploit that. He was very, very happy in his later life. Later, uh, uh, later years of his life to see where I was actually going with some of this, even though um, you know I was always he still saw me as weird or <laughs> somewhat unacceptable. But that's okay. Uh, you're not here to please your parents. You know, you're here to to become a unique being. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what you mentioned about uh, mathematics in school. Um, I was the same way, and I feel a lot of people probably were. Um, you know, I didn't like math in school. It didn't make you know. I, I I just couldn't wrap my brain around a lot of it. And now, after I got out of school, I started looking into things, looking into you know the the uh, occult sciences, and especially the intelligent, you know, more intelligent uh, infernal geometry and trapezoidal um, type of things. It's like, wow, now I can actually see a lot of significance in mathematics. And I feel part of it has to do with just the way it's, it's taught through these, these you know, uh, government-run, you know, compulsory education institutions that it's like taught by people that don't care. And it's all just like abstract. And so you're not motivated because you don't understand what, what kind of stake you have in it. But it's amazing once you get out into the real world and have the opportunity to start uh, I guess self-educating yourself and start finding finding teachers, you know, establishing your own, um, you know, student-teacher relationships. Um, it's 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 amazing what you can find out of some of these things. Well, we all need mentors. Mm -hmm. We all need a guru, regardless of what it is. That's that's somebody that's gone before you, somebody who's uh, passed through trials and they understand things and they want to pass their knowledge on. To you. Ultimately, you're, uh, what you need to do is to be able to surpass them because uh, you appreciate everything that they've done, you understand their positions, and then ultimately you're able to go, well, what about this perspective? And they're like, my wife. And then you're, you're on the next step. The goal is not to surpass your teacher. The goal is to create something original and go on from there because uh, it's not about – you know, just being this egotistical thing. I mean, if, if anybody wants to talk about something like 
you know, oh, you know, the ego is evil, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's just a perspective about what you think you can accomplish can be like ridiculous and mundane and sickening. What's really important is being able to develop the self to an even higher degree. And then you, and you recognize that what's most important is that you, what you're building on is, is the work of people that have gone before you. Um, and, you know, that's something that even though I was only a, a very short-term member of the Temple of Set, I still appreciate uh, about those who, you know, made these contributions, particularly those of Dr. Aquino. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a continual state of learning. I think you have to be a perpetual student. You never really stop. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and uh, we don't really have um, mentorships anymore. You don't uh, don't have um, things where like uh, you go into a shop and you learn, uh, you know, machining because you are uh, you're apprenticing and you're a journeyman or a master machinist. They don't mm -hmm. have anything like that. People do now is they uh, they get their instruction, you know, in schools about like how to uh, use a computer to you know uh, forward whatever it is that they're in, they're engaged in. They're not really hands on. I mean, I don't consider typing letters on a, uh, in numbers on a computer hands on for the action of like learning how to actually do something. Oh, yeah. And and people lust for that. Yeah, there, there there are people who are like, oh God, I want to I want to weld. I have a background in welding. Um, I I apprenticed in a, in a machine shop, and I was under a, a master welder who had been doing it for almost forty years, and he taught me how to do it. And within like just a few months, he said, like, wow, your welder is good as mine. But I had a natural affinity to it because I think that's something that was just kind of passed on genetically because my father did it, and his grandfather, his father did it, and and my great grandfather did it. So. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what's important is like actually finding where your strengths are and then exploiting that as opposed uh -huh. to trying to find someplace that you're, you know, you're not well suited, even if that's what you want. If you're not well suited for it, then you, you shouldn't do it. Well, you know, it's back, you know, engineered that way. So, right. And, and, and there was this time you, you, you mentioned this, there was this time of, you know, during the age of apprenticeships when that was the way that people learned things and they learned to craft uh, and whatnot. People would start learning it at a much earlier age in life. You'd learn your proclivities early on and you start learning about, you know, like responsibility and things like that when you're like very young. And in our current, in the current world we live in, it's like, well, that's actually, you know, they, people complain about, you know, uh, you know, students get out of college and they don't have any experience with the real world. They don't have any experience of how to like work with other people or anything. Well, our society has made it illegal for people to like work before a certain age. There's all these like laws and like up to a certain age, we're just, people are just, you know, children are dragooned into, into these institutions where they're just force fed stuff by people who don't care and they come out on the other end with skills. And if people come out on the other end and, and even have a, a sense of a, that they might have a proclivity to do something that really engages them, to do something that they really love, then they're just really lucky if they've managed to hang on to that at all because there's just so much brainwashing uh, that happens during that time period. Well, we need to uh, significantly reduce the human populace, if not all of it. And 
think that the only thing that might actually save the planet is a rock from space the size of Texas. <laughs> so maybe we can, uh, maybe you can like work on getting the Ragnarok engine to like kind of go that direction, kind of magnetically help bring in some debris to help uh, push that it's, along it's, a little. Well, that that device is definitely definitely could be used as a weapon. I even wrote an interesting uh, screen treatment for an episode of The X-Files in which that device is uh, figures predominantly, and uh, I'll have to send that to you. Oh. Maybe, maybe you can pass that on to Dr. Keto, who might like it. Yeah, that would be excellent. I'd love that. I'd love to check that out. So, uh, talking about uh, things that you've written, you're working on a book, aren't you? Dominion mm -hmm. of Chaos? Mm -hmm. Let's uh, tell yeah. us about that a little bit. Well, the, the book will detail, uh, you know, not only, you know, uh, the concepts of uh, technological sorcery, but, um, you know, where the, or the Chaos Imperium actually stands in its reference to um, black magic and how it's developing our perspectives on various things. Um, there's a certain level of consternation that is exhibited in the way in which magical ideas are presented now on, uh, via the internet and uh, uh, um, so-called left-hand path conventions, these types of things. So it's, uh, it's, it's condemnatory of certain perspectives. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that because I'm not out to make friends and, you know, Dale Carnegie can, you know, you know, roll over his grave. I don't really care. <laughs> um, uh, you know, if we have, like I said, if we have specific definitions and certain things, that's what we hold to. You want to change a definition? Well, they create a new word and they create a new definition. Don't take an old, don't take one that's already around. Uh, you know, and that it's accepted as a certain, um, it has a specific action of truth, and try to say that it means this or that. Uh, especially if you're an uneducated prole. Um, who just recently discovered, you know, black magic in the last 10 years, and you think you're going to tell us all how it's going to be. I hate people like that. They're the enemy. Um, and then when they create, like, uh, uh, you know, conventions and stuff around that, it's just like, wow, I just wish there was a way to sarin gas you because you're disgusting. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I... I'm just, uh, no, I'm not, you know what, the community rubs me the wrong way. I'm just not on board with anything that's going on in the so-called occult community. Uh -huh. um, and anybody that listens to the things that I uh, say or pays any attention to things I write, nine times out of ten, it's like, well, I, I'm in complete agreement with that. And, uh, you know, it, because probably they find themselves in the same position. They're really unhappy with the things that they see. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. It really uh, is a point of consternation about how people attempt to run down Anton LaVey. They never knew him. Mm -hmm. They didn't know him. They didn't know how he thought. They didn't know what he, what he thought about him. Mm -hmm. didn't know, they didn't know the perspectives that he held were, like, highly advanced, extremely advanced for the time in which they were written. You know, and who knows where he would have gone if, uh, you know, he actually had uh, more access to things like physics and things like that. It might be different. And, and of course, and Dr. Aquino. I mean, but, of course, you know, Dr. Aquino is great at, you know, dropping people into, you know, abysses, you know, with just pure logic. And I, I love seeing that happen. 
but there needs to be more of that type of thing because there's there's too many people out there attempting to define left-hand path and and satanism and and um, the, the position of authentic uh, darkness and by that i say in a position opposite of the demiurge in opposition to those forces which would seek to purely control us yeah so you know when i was it's, it's so interesting you bring this up so when, when i was younger you know there was a time like um you know, when it, in my teens, and I'd read the Satanic Bible, and I was very, uh, very, very, uh, uh, very into it, very excited about it. Uh, and you know, I used to dream about the future and think that, wow, wouldn't it be great if, like, everyone, maybe in the future, everyone will get into this, and we'll just have like a Satanic Black Magical Society. Um, and 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 now, you know, now I'm much older, and there's been this weird phenomenon over the last five years or so of occultism uh, becoming very popular. And you see like, you know, the, the, this uh, satanic temple is on CNN and it's like such, it's so out there. And you know what? I think it's horrible. I think it's terrifying because it's so far off. The mainstream of this is so far off from the actual core principles and values of the left-hand path as it was established by people like, uh, Anton LaVey and Michael Aquino during that time period that it's actually like like frightening and I just want to see you know geez how can we you know I, I find myself struggling to like try and like you know define myself as being not a part of that not a part of that whole movement it's just a very bizarre social phenomenon maybe what's really been uh, frightening is uh happen to pass one of these people on the street and recognize how disgustingly stupid they are. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't classify any of those people as left-hand path or satanic. So it doesn't matter what they say because they're nobodies. Uh, their perspectives are just the blind leading the blind and self-cleaning ovens and you know, uh, people will say what uh, they'll say whatever they want, and those that will accept that will just you know pass along into um, uh, lethargy and uh, forgetfulness, and nobody will ever remember them. So who cares? Uh, that's that's not Satanism. That's not the left hand path, and it's it's not black magic. It's uh, it's commodification of the occult. They want to have one thing in common with a lot of these other groups and, and people. And that is how much money can I make by selling this design to people who know less about this than I do. Mm -hmm. So uh, those people, like I said, uh, you know, black magicians of any caliber in my experience made everything that they used magically and buying this stuff and it become you know, members of, of things because it was being pitched to them as some kind of like something new and improved. You know, Dr. Lay talked about like, oh, well, new and improved is like the same thing. It's been around forever. It's just been resold to people, you know, and, and Dr. Aquino has, you know, has, uh, has said essentially the same thing um, that, uh, you know, if you're going to, uh, either you're going to seek out something original, it's going to have a resonance with you or you're going to know it innately. Mm -hmm. Uh, these people I, I, I can't take seriously. Again, they're just dealing with the telluric. And by, by that, I mean just the physical, uh, the physical realm, 
what happens inside of the physical world, how it affects them, you know, from that, from the position of something that's pseudo-political, I mean, which is uh, what you're talking about with some of these groups. And um, that's, you know, <laughs> to quote a friend of mine, Satan wouldn't have anything to do with you. <laughs> would touch you with a 10-foot pitchfork because not because it has nothing to do with like what we're doing so um you know that's why you have the opportunity when you're questioned by a um by a media outlet uh, whether it's television or radio or whatnot to be able to go uh don't pay any attention to this this is just a modern manifestation of people attempting to you know uh hold on to our their our coattails and you know make statements because they're looking for some kind of recognition and aggrandizement and essentially they're driven venally for um, the acquisition of something material and, and that's that's not why we're here that's not why we're defending this uh, our position or presenting our position. Well, a lot so, of them they're they're ultimately seeking inclusion, you know. Um, we're, marginalization is such a big thing nowadays and so they, they some of these people have like caught on to the fact that like well satanism is a minority religion and they're marginalized so we can go out and campaign for more inclusion into the greater society we should be included with uh, with everything and it's like wow you just that completely fail to to grasp the whole concept of 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 left-hand path and black magical initiation and that it is the opposite of inclusion. It's, it's a, an effort to seek a greater exclusion. I don't want to be included in in, in, in the machine, in the inertia, in the demiurge, as you say. I don't want to be included in it. That's going to happen naturally anyhow. If I just do nothing, that will happen. The struggle is to like be excluded from it, to uh, rise above it. Well, what you're describing is uh, socialized occultism. Mm -hmm. And the, and, uh, the, uh, you know, Facebook is an amazing, uh, accurate presentation of that. Um, like, oh, we're all, you know, uh, you know, Satanism, we're all in it together. You know, it's like, it's us. It's like, let, let's, uh, let, let's rally around the, uh, the inverted pentagram. Let's, let's, you know, uh, you know, uh, I'm your satanic brother or sister. You know what? Anytime anybody calls me their brother, it's like, I figure that I've done something wrong. You know, it's like. I have no connection to that whatsoever. It's like, I'm not, don't call me your brother because I wouldn't even call you friend. So there, there's no connection there whatsoever, but th they're, they're attempting to take uh, those issues that are a natural part of their leftist, uh, you know, orientation. And a lot of that has been brought uh, from their former uh, position within white witchcraft. Mm -hmm. They attempt to inculcate it into uh into black magic because they decided they wanted to, you know, get involved in that because they recognize power. At least they're smart enough to recognize power when they see it. And so their perspective becomes exactly the same, except they just change the names of the, of the beings involved. Mm -hmm. You know, they were a black robe instead of a white one. You know, they start uh, worshiping Hakate, you know, instead of Isis. And it's like, you know what, you people uh, are, are deserving of, um, you know, you know, uh, com complete and utter, you know, elimination. In other words, you should just simply be forgotten because everything that you're doing is just, you know, has already happened before. 
it's, it's part of a political agenda, this whole idea of inclusion. They see Satan uh, as this kind of, uh, you know, rebel hero who will advance the idea of, um, uh, you know, uh, leftist issues, whether it's uh, homosexuality or lesbianism or, um, uh, or uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, well, m most of it is, is, is oriented toward politics of the left. And it's mm -hmm. like, and if they knew anything about uh, the, uh, you know, about, about the devil and some of his earlier incarnations, he was much more oriented to our fascist perspective. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you know, I, I, you know what, look, I, uh, I, I wrote a, I, I rode a tank or, and uh, held a general's rank when the blitzkrieg rained and the body stank. And right. I also like, you know, you know, who killed the Kennedys? Like, you know, Satan was all about like, look, I'm going to play all of you because I'm this individual entity. And it's like, I'm going to take whatever power is available and I'm going to use it and whatever, you know, in whatever way it's, it's, uh, avails itself at the moment. Yeah. Um, Satanists need to be able to exploit those things for people. You know, if you want to, ex if you need to exploit people's stupidity because they're they're leftists, or you need to uh, to be able to use them because you know they're uh, you know, supposedly fascists or whatever. I mean, I, I personally would like to see their trains run on time. You know, so uh, <laughs> I don't have any problem with like a lot of that. But ultimately, you know, you have to transcend all of those positions altogether because yeah. what we're talking about is something that's not oriented in politics. Politics is an, in, is an investment in human future. Mm -hmm. and, well, I'm only going to speak for myself. I'm not interested in human future. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in human culture or human race or anything else that defines various uh, differentiations of what it means to be human. I'm all about the transcending of the human condition altogether. That's what some of this is about. Some of this, it's about attempting to at least physically symbolize a movement beyond that. So those are the things that I'm searching for, searching for. And, uh, uh, the Ragnarok engine and the, and the transformation of the self is, is inimical to how that actually will take place. I, I you know, I find politics, like I said, uh, very exasperating because it's all about like how we're going to move forward into the future and we're going to, we're going to, move people around and you know, make them acceptable to each other or unacceptable or take over or whatnot. Right. I don't, I don't have any interest in that whatsoever. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Politics is always just a, a, a whole a, a group of experts getting together and deciding how we're best going to organize everyone else and force them to do the right thing. And then a bunch of other people who like, uh, you know, a big herd of sheep that just follow along and say, yes, yes, please tell me what to do. Please, uh, please control me. Keep me corralled in here, you know. Um, and you know, maybe things are a little bit better nowadays than they were in the past. And now we're at least, you know, it's like we're free. We have free range slavery nowadays, rather than people being herded around and forced to carry rocks and, and 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 build things. Well, we get to like wander around a little bit and pretend like we're free. But ultimately, it's not even the fault of all that. It's like um, it's 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 uh, you know it's the demiurge. It's it's the the mechanical cosmos. That's the thing, you know, the cosmic inertia. That's what we're ultimately struggling against. And 
And my interests in politics begin and end as far as the physical realm with things like maybe a, a, a more mundane issue, but to me it's very, very important. And that's like things like animal abuse. Mm -hmm. That's a hot political uh, potato. You know, uh, the way in which people deal with the animal world, in which uh, the greatest Holocaust, as I see it, is uh, how animals are treated in the physical world. The reason I see that as essentially wrong is because I, I personally believe that animals themselves have the possibility of transcendence and becoming something greater than what they are. And that they should be allowed to allow to, for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And he's desiring to eat them or torture them or whatnot, torture them before they eat them. Mm -hmm. To me, is uh, the horrendous crime against uh, godlike common sense. Mm -hmm. People that do that should be should be eliminated. Mm -hmm. Uh, the uh, you know whether this is whether it be, whether it's a cultural thing or not I don't care I think a culture that they would exploit and uh, torture animals for for reasons of food should be completely wiped clean from the face of the earth I don't care who they are and uh, I personally don't care who thinks that that's some kind of horrible racist statement you know I don't care well, I don't <laughs> think it's racist uh, maybe it's speciesist <laughs> you know and anybody that had any kind of conscience. Or any kind of soul recognized the horrendous uh, position that they were advocating. Well, we have to. You no, know, it's like well, it's cultural. We should like at least acknowledge that it's a culture. And it's like, it's like no, no, no. Uh, I don't believe that the, the Prince of Darkness would in any way sanction that. Type of thing. I believe this being is so far above that it doesn't it, that it might not consider it, but I don't believe that it is immune to what is happening. It must obviously understand emotion. It must obviously understand the power of being human and that certain elements of that are going to resonate strongly and that, and, and that those emotional elements drive evolution. They do, make no mistake. And that uh, those are important things to consider. And so when people say, well, this is, we should just allow this to happen because, you know, it, it's, it's part of culture. They've been doing this for thousands of years. I'm like, well, then you need to stop it. Mm -hmm. That don't accept it should, uh, should be in a position to, uh, to, to make it stop. Right. Just because people have been doing something for a thousand years doesn't, doesn't. mean it right at any, in any sense of the word. That doesn't, uh, doesn't rationalize or justify it. And, and, you know, it's, um, this is the problem with, um, cultural relativism, which is the idea that, you know, some things are okay for certain people to do, but then other people, you know, someone else does or says it, then it's, then it's wrong. It's like, no, we, we, you know, we like to deal in principles here. And when you're talking about animals, you're talking about the principle of life. And, um, as, as you know, uh, you know, Lilith Aquino had this concept of, of Arcte that she's been talking about. Um, and, and, and part of the, significance of that is that it's a challenge that we reconsider the relationship of um, our, our own experience of consciousness and our connection with with animals and the life forms around us and see that there is there is a very significant aspect to that and how we treat these other forms of life it has to do with how we 
see ourselves and how we treat ourselves and what kind of regard we have for ourselves. I agree with that. It all, again, it also means like, like it, it should be considered. Well, if we're attempting to, uh, well, in your case, it's like the, the, inner, the aeonic word of your order, which is kefir to come into being. It's like, isn't there the possibility that animals in and of themselves may have the possibility of kefir to, to, to uh, elevate themselves beyond the position that they hold? In other words, should they not also be allowed to transcend to something greater? And as human beings, if we're like stopping them from doing that because we're just eating them and or you're torturing them and eating or exploiting them, you know, you're in contradiction to an aeonic magical principle. So you have essentially made yourself an enemy of an element of black magic and therefore you should be should be evaluated as such and dealt with as such. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is something that, you know, um, I, I, I think that well, I don't, I don't think that the average person is going to be able to consider it in, in, the, in the context of metaphysics, but that's something that we have to look at it because metaphys- metaphysics is the most powerful aspect of the action in and of itself. It starts with that, and then we have to physically act on it. So, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. It's uh, – we're, we're living in the Kali Yuga. We're living in the ass end of the Kali Yuga. In some places like America, like the Kali Yuga Riviera. So we we have to see that this this cycle that we're living in, this last final cycle of degeneracy and and uh, uh, anti-spiritual perspectives mm-hmm. are, are going to manifest themselves in the occult world too. And you know, it's going to filter out into like uh, not only into the human world, but into the animal world itself. I don't believe that in the Kali Yuga, despite the fact that it actually has to play out, that we should just stick our heads in the sand and, and do nothing. That you have to do something at whatever level you possibly can to make make things, uh, to change things. Mm-hmm. I believe that animals are intrinsic to the left-hand path and to a satanic perspective, and therefore they should be preserved. So. I agree. So uh, tell, us, tell us about uh, Hannibal. Oh, my, uh, my dog, can you hear him snoring in the background? Is that what that is? I thought maybe there was a demon, like, uh, I I love animals and I love, love dogs and I've had dogs all my life. And, um, I I particularly, uh, I have a particular affinity for, um, Conus pugnosus, which is the original fighting breed dogs there. These are the dogs that, uh, would choose death, uh, over, uh, physical life preservation because this, um, I, I once had a discussion with a, with a friend of mine who was talking about um, predators um, such as lions and tigers uh, versus things like pit bulls or bulldogs. And he was saying like, well, you know, the predators are like the ultimate, uh, ultimate gladiators, you know, it's like, you know, they're the king of the beasts. And, stuff. and I said, well, actually uh, you're wrong. And here's why I said, uh, get a lion or a tiger. I was like, they, they will fight, you know, as much as they can. It's whatever. Self-preservation is still their highest law. I mean, they'll, they'll fight and preserve their children and things like this. Self-preservation is, 
is, you know, in any, uh, almost any other context is still, you know, at the height of it. They won't um, push things so far that, uh, you know, they'll die over it. Like they'll give up a, a carcass of an animal they've killed to a more powerful a member of their own pack or something else because they, they're like, well, it's not worth dying over mm -hmm. you know, uh, to gain access to this meat, to this sustenance. Whereas uh, uh, Canis pugnosis, like the ancient bulldogs, uh, which were used in the Roman arenas, it, w it was a completely different type of perspective. And we made them like this. It was like, no, no, it's, it's not about like whether I survive to be able to eat this food. It's all about conquer or die. I can't live with myself if I lose. I must, I must fight to the end. I must fight and win or must fight and die. So there was much more of a, almost a samurai ethic to the animal in that context. And the ancient bulldog, um, which has uh, had its origins in, uh, in Europe, even though uh, you could chart the trajectory of Canis pugnosis all the way from uh, ancient Asia all the way through the Silk Road into India and, and uh, uh, Pakistan and then back into the to, uh, back up into Europe and then the Europeans took them and they refined them to their their uh, current regality as warriors and then the Romans when they you know, sacked Britain took those same dogs back to, to Rome and in iron cages and they were used to fight uh, lions and tigers and, uh, and human beings. And uh, according to papyri from that time, they could beat all comers. Wow. So I was very interested in actually having a, um, a modern uh, antecedent of, of such a creature. And so I've, been, I've surrounded myself with those types of dogs all my life, you know, since, um, since the 80s. During the satanic panic, that's when I found out that having a dog like that was actually the best thing because living in a small town and right. <laughs> people were ready to like, you know, pounce on you because, you know, <laughs> they, they thought you were involved in this or that. Right. Having a, a dog of that type was, uh, was uh, yeah, better than a pistol. So, yeah. Absolutely. Now, are they, are they uh, related to the uh, Rottweiler in any way? No. No. The, okay. the Rottweiler. Uh, uh, Canis pugnosis. Uh, the word uh, pugnosis comes from the word from the uh, ancient um, um, uh, word that you'll you'll find in um, from the Celtic word um, uh, pug, or which is a shortened form of the word pugil, which means to fight. Ah. So. Canis pugnosis was fighting dog, um, or a dog that fights, and uh, so uh, yeah, they they were specifically bred for combat, gladiators. That's that's all they did. And wow. they there are several different breeds that actually came out of uh, um, uh, Scotland and Ireland that were uh, created and bred specifically for uh, combat activity. That's all they did. Wow. Yeah, and it's interesting because you can chart that to to people too. I mean, because you have like um, uh, fisticuffs comes out, you know, principally out of Ireland, Scotland, and Ireland. You know, it's like uh, not not martial arts proper in the sense of like uh, 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 
uh, uh, Kung Fu or any one of the other disciplines that you might find in Asia. But, you know, uh, pugilism and fighting and stuff like that of different types was, uh, it was very, very big in the, the cultures that, um, of, of the Scotch-Irish and their dogs were the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, to me, it was like I always wanted to have, you know, be surrounded by that type of commitment to, uh, to conquer or die. And so I've had these type of, these yeah. type of dogs. I really, I'm a dog person too. I think, you know, I got a couple of Dobermans and I got a, uh, a, uh, dachshund and there's just something about the relationship that you have with dogs that is just so, so tight, you know, it's like, it's this dog, you just feel it would do, you know, they'd do anything for you and, and I'd do anything for them. You know, um, well, you know, uh, uh, more so than any other animal that we've domesticated, uh, the canine has a symbiotic relationship with humanity, and uh, human evolution with a dog is in excess of one hundred and forty thousand years. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time. Yeah, I mean, on the cosmological scale, it's less than a split second but but you know as far as the you know our contextual perspective of it that's a long time uh-huh and we have turned them into like what they are as creatures i mean we've, we've manipulated as every aspect of the wolf I and mean, the wolf has a uh has elements of like retrieving and combat arts and uh sense of smell um uh uh Various identitarian elements that that they that are part of their pack orientation, and we just took that and we amplified them in each of the different breeds. And in the the case of the pit bull and the American bulldog, the Renaissance bulldog, though uh, we elevated the combat arts, uh, the, 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 the the jaw power and various mm-hmm. other things. We've made that even more intense. It's in fact, it has even been said, Paul, that the 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 dog, the canine, is uh, the, um, uh, the, the most malleable, has the most malleable of all genetic traits. Uh, and it's actually been, you know, fairly proven true because we can turn them into anything we want. It's like we, you can see the different chameleonic aspects of them. Like we can make them small, we can make them taller, we can make them wider, we can... Mm-hmm amplify the sense of smell we can amplify their their bite power we can amplify their uh their sense of smell or hearing and mm-hmm. uh so, yeah so they're they're extremely important in, in that uh in that art and you know and it's really strange they're called dogs which is god backwards you know it's like i mean i, I don't think any of these things are just uh, coincidental i think oh, yeah. they're you know, we, we have this symbiotic relationship with them. And anybody that's ever owned one for any amount of time and then found kind of like, like your favorite interaction or your most uh, heartfelt. And, and people I know is like have been more heartfelt about their dogs than the people that they actually married or spent the rest of their lives with because the dog never betrayed them. Yeah. Uh, it never, never lies. Never lied, never turned on them, never stole from them, never brought home a rap record from school. They, you know, <laughs> They didn't do those things. You know, they were things that you could always really rely on, and uh, they were there to the end. It's like, what what more could you ask? Yeah. An animal like that should be uh, elevated and, and, and celebrated and allowed to, like, reach, uh, you know, a, a greater level of, of 
spiritual um, life. Mm-hmm. There's there's a reason why the ancient Egyptians chose Anubis as you know an essentially very powerful and important figure in in death mm-hmm. because you know they you know they escorted the human soul into mm-hmm. the underworld and and dogs are untouched and unmoved by corruption rot mm-hmm. death you know they dig around the graveyards they'll eat dead flesh. You know, they don't make judgments about dead bodies. You know, they, they're, they're totally at home with that. To them, it's perfume. Yeah, there's a lot that can be learned about, uh, about the, the necrophilic world in relation to the dog. You know, there's this dog, um, and when you mentioned the uh, ancient Egyptians, I can't remember his name, but it's the first dog that, that, that we know of, like in history, that had a name uh, that was like buried in ancient Egypt. And there's a, there's a, inscription on the side of a, a, a tomb or something about the dog and how this was a great dog and it's all about the dog's life but we don't even know the owner's name the owner's name did not survive but this dog's name survived and this is something they're starting to learn more about the egyptians for a long time the the whole thing with the egyptians is oh they love cats they were just crazy about cats and they mummified cats and, and this is true they did uh love their cats but they're learning now that they also love dogs a lot. Dogs are highly venerated as, as pets and companions there. And this also goes back to um, Zarathustra and the, and the uh, Zoroastrians, the ancient Persians, also had the dog was actually incorporated into the, the funerary rites. And like the only other animal other than man that is basically included in this whole process of going into uh, – basically going into the afterlife no other animal is afforded that honor you know yeah and, yeah, and that's, that's and that's going way back that's a long fucking time ago you know? well ancient egypt and ancient persia some of those areas uh, you know and there would be places that uh, uh if i was given the choice to live in different uh, time periods that's probably one of them yeah would have been one of the ones i would have been interested in I'm very, very interested in uh, life in ancient, you know, in Germany during the Second World War, simply because uh, the uh, the Republic under Adolf Hitler was one of the few uh, political paradigms that actually believed in the prosecution of humans who were involved in animal torture or abuse mm-hmm. was a uh, that was dealt with um, via death mm-hmm. it, was, it was a death sentence wow to uh, to kill or you know to torture an animal of any type because it was seen essentially as uh, a degraded sense of, be, of being less than the most noble uh, human type that you could actually be I would love to see that actually happen now in the modern world in which animal abuse was dealt with through uh, the most vicious form of capital punishment. That's what needs to happen. Uh, this week, the uh, Yulin Dog Meat Festival is taking place in uh, China. Oh, no. Most horrendous thing you could possibly imagine. Yeah. It's a, an, a, an animal holocaust. It's not just dogs. It's cats, too. It's an animal holocaust beyond description. It's so traumatizing that 
it's, it's very, very difficult for most people, if not impossible for most people to look upon. I'm familiar with it because, you know, I believe that uh, it's important to be, to know about it and to be able to pass this information on to, to people. Uh, and my reasons for doing this are a little bit more selfish because I believe that when people get angry enough or upset enough that that energy can be exploited and used in a black magical sense to actually put curses and to wage uh, death curse omega, which is hard, on uh, a culture that would, uh, that would uh, a- attempt to in any way uh, uh, engage in and elevate that as something worthy of, of, uh, of you know, continuing. I, I don't condemn, uh, <laughs> you know, Asian people in and of themselves for this activity. There's a lot of young people who are like, like ah, well, no, we've got dogs to spend, and cats to spend. It's an older contingent, but they need to be stopped. They need to be shown the error of this type of activity. And if yeah. they can't be can't be persuaded, they should they should be wiped clean from the face of the earth. That's right. So, so yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, um, we've talked for a good long time, and we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, Rex, do you have any um, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? What's that? I don't offer thoughts for people. So I think it's like, no, I don't. I don't want to leave anybody with well wishes. Okay. No. Like you like away and go, God, I hated that guy. You don't have any like uplifting like, message or I don't like what he said and whatever. It's like, you know, um, no, I uh, yeah, I'm not I, I, I have no messages for anybody. I have no, no constructive material for <laughs> to ruminate on. You know, I, I like people on an individual basis. I don't like group think. I don't like uh, you know groups of people. I don't like people. I don't even like that part of myself, which is still human. So uh, you know, but um, I do I, I do think that there will be a certain level of resonance of what I've said with people who um, really understand the left hand path and black magic. They'll go, see, see, yeah, yeah, that's ex- I agree with that because that's how it is. That is an aspect of truth that we have to acknowledge. We have to go from there. Um, it's not about numbers, Paul, as you know. It's about integrity. It's about uh, authenticity. So when people go, well, how can you know, an organization like that be of any worth? It's only got such and such so many hundred members, and we've got like 10,000, 20,000. It's like, wow, so you believe that uh, numbers is what uh, makes quality? Mm-hmm. You counting fucking dollar bills? Is that what that's all about? Mm-hmm. You know, you know that, that becomes a, an aspect of, of monetary virility, and I think that's uh, degenerate garbage. I was, you know, I want to be part of that. So, yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, having this conversation with me this evening. I think we've, uh, we've definitely covered some very intense stuff, and uh, I'll be – uh, looking forward to so when it, what is the uh, Ragnarok engine when is that is there a, a completion date is there um, a, a certain time period that we think that it's all gonna come together 
Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your program. I really, really appreciate it. And you've asked the best questions that um, just about anybody has asked. And I've been in quite a few uh, podcasts and radio interviews. So thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. That's right. Absolutely. Um, as far as when the Ragnarok engine will be finished, I think I have to kind of, I have to quote uh, Leonardo da Vinci, you know, yeah, when Pope asked him when we finished, he said, Pope said, hey, when will you make an end? And he said, when I'm finished. So it's, it's kind of like that. Um, I, I hope to finish it within the next five years because it, it's like, I'm not getting any younger and I've got things I have to complete. And, you know, so, um, uh, I wanted to actually present it as a as an art project, even though it's really not an art project. Um, <laughs> it as an art project, and you know, getting into a major gallery like uh, e even the Portland Art Museum is uh, rife with political, uh, you know, yeah. uh, hoops you have to jump through and and uh, things you have to meet to make it happen and. Which is really disgusting. I mean, like I'm, I'm one of Portland's sons. I mean, I should be accepted. They should allow me to show this thing there. Mm -hmm. So uh, I might have to call on some of you guys to like help make that so by going, you know, helping pressure them to like, like, look, we want to show this here. We want to do this. Mm -hmm. Actually, make it happen uh, because uh, they want to make money if that's all they're interested in. Which of course it, it is what they're interested in. Uh, it could, I could, I could easily make that happen. I think there's enough people who would be interested who would not only come there from like uh, uh, Oregon, but from all over the nation and oh, yeah. from Europe who would come to see this. Most definitely. Oh yeah. Three months, they could make back anything that they needed, uh, which would be uh, 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 subtracted from the effort of bringing it, uh, bringing the project um, uh, to the museum, which would be yeah, somewhat costly, but not really too much. You know, if it took four or five thousand dollars to get it there and get it, so they would make three, four, five times that much in how many people actually show up there to see it. And that's a, and um, and you know, it would be a new something new for them to listen to. And, and like I said, my presentation wouldn't be political even in the least. You know, because it's not a, it's not a political project, and I'm not uh, I'm not oriented toward that anyway. It's really hard to, to state that because when you're using specific symbols, which have been used by political groups, um, defending that position can sometimes be difficult. Even if you do it adroitly, they just don't want to, some people just don't want to listen. Yeah. But yeah, but I, I could do it. And I think that uh, it would be, it'd be really good for the city. It'd be, you know, a chance to see something different and, and innovative. So we'll see what happens. Absolutely. You know, however you got it going, however you make that happen, whether it's, you know, through the art galleries or whatnot, if you got that to happen, there would be so many people showing up to see the initial, you know, the christening or the initial firing up, you know, of the Ragnarok engine. That could be really, really huge. There's um, a lot more to just the device itself. There's a gigantic hinge which encircles it. There's a huge Tesla coil, which is part of that. Um, there is a specialized music uh, and sonic presentation, which is actually part of its operation. It's uh, it's it's multi-dimensional as far as like the exploitation of uh, 
of, of magical elements. How could how could people see more of it right now? Is it is there online? Can can we see uh, pictures of it? It's on Facebook. Uh, it's on my Facebook page, Diablos Rex. It's on Facebook page, uh, Black Sun Occult Engineering and Design. It's on Instagram, uh, Diablos Rex, and it's also on Tumblr uh, under uh, Gro- is it, uh, Groom Lake. No, 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 not. Uh, uh, Area 51, Nosferatu. Yeah. Excellent. Area 51, Nosferatu on Tumblr. Excellent. All right. Well, I encourage all of my listeners to go check out the Ragnarok engine wherever you can and support this important black magical operation and look for, um, we'll look for your book to come out also. Um, and, um, and yeah, you want a fortune for it because it's not going to be bound in, uh, you know, sat- satanic eel skin or anything like that. I really want to make it something that, you know, that Excellent. anybody just to see the, con- uh, the uh, convolution, uh, a confluence of events between, you know, black magic and, and uh, um, you know, um, physics and be able to pick it up and go, well, I really like that idea. I think that makes complete sense. And, oh, uh, well, this is completely crazy and I don't agree with that. That's okay, too. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's 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 my focus is trying to get something out there that, that people would would look at and have at least it will drive different perspectives. Excellent. All right. Well, Rex, keep doing that uh, black magic that only you can do, and we look forward to all these future works as they come into being. Thank you, Paul, for having me on your program. I'm I'm honored. All right. Take care. Where did he come from? The answers lie in another part of the universe, some 40,000 light years from our own sun, on a line with the constellation Eve. the fifth planet out from its sun. Fifth planet out from its sun.